podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Wednesday, the 15th of June, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. You go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, at checkout you will get 25% off either the hardware or software packages. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. So check out libertyshield.com. Use that code EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off your football merchandising needs. Right, folks, it is Wednesday. For Liverpool fans, it is the day after Darwin Day. For England fans, it is a day of embarrassment, anger, shame, and it really shouldn't be. England lost 4-0 at home to Hungary last night. It is their heaviest home defeat since 1928. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Like, let's be honest about this. The Nations League is a collection of friendlies. It doesn't really matter. It's not important. What's important is the World Cup. What's important is European Championships. This is nonsense. This is just something to line the pockets of people. It's not an important thing. And while it is embarrassing that England lost 4-0 at home, and more embarrassing that that defeat was too hungry, um, it's not the end of the world. Look, Gareth Southgate isn't a good manager, and nobody should confuse him with a good manager. Now, his pals in the media... And those who want to avoid getting blacklisted by the FA, which, by the way, does happen, won't come out and criticise him. They'll trot out the lines of, well, look, this guy got us to a World Cup semi-final and he got us to a European Championship final. And they're right. He did. Didn't win anything. Didn't win a thing. But he got them to those stages of those tournaments you can debate whether or not he got the team there or the players got him there i don't think he gets the most out of players i actually think he holds back this talented group of england players i think he's at the helm of arguably the most talented generation of english footballers we've ever seen he just doesn't make use of it like you can look at 
most positions and England are pretty loaded. Like goalkeeper is the outlier. I don't think England have any standout goalkeeper who is of an elite level. They've got Pickford, obviously. He's limited and he's inconsistent. He's got massive errors in his game. Ramsdale is the same. Nick Pope is probably the most secure of the goalkeeping options, but again, he's not an elite level goalkeeper. I think Dean Henderson has the potential to be a very good goalkeeper, but not elite level. Sam Johnston's limited and Fraser Forster having six caps is quite surprising to me. Um, so that is the outlier. You look at centre-back. And there's just so many good options. Now, again, they're not maybe not great options, but I don't think you need great centre-backs. I think you need a great centre-back partnership. And the problem for England is that Southgate has fallen in love with the idea of John Stones and Harry Maguire. And to their credit, they have done quite well for England. But John Stones is in first choice at Manchester City, and Harry Maguire has been a train wreck at Manchester United. If this is a meritocracy, neither of them should even be in the squad, let alone the team. The two best English central defenders are Joe Gomez and Fabio Tamori. Now, Gomez's issue is he's not first choice at Liverpool. He is the fourth centre-back at Liverpool. He is the best fourth centre-back anywhere in the world. He'd be the best third centre-back anywhere in the world as well, but he is a backup at Liverpool. So there's no justification for picking him. But at the same time, you're willing to pick John Stones. Joe Gomez is better than John Stones. Fikayo Tomori is outstanding. And he had an amazing year for AC Milan. And there has got to be people at Chelsea shaking their heads at the decision that was made to sell him last summer. Now, I know they'd done an obligation to buy or an option to buy when they loaned him. But that was just foolish. Absolutely foolish. Fikayo Tomori should be starting for Chelsea. Instead, he's a star at AC Milan. Esri Konza didn't have a particularly great season this past one, but the year before, he was outstanding. He's one of the three or four best defenders in the Premier League. He should be in the England squad. How you could watch Aston Villa and see Konza and Mings and decide that Mings was the one to pick, I don't know. But Konza could be there. And Mark Wehi, who has been called up into the squad now, has now got three caps, played last night, and to be fair, was by far the better of the two centre-backs. Stones had an absolute shambles of a game. Gwehi was decent enough. Gwehi, Tamore and Konza should be three of your four centre-backs. And if Stones is your fourth, then fair enough. If you're going to say Gomez isn't in getting enough game time at Liverpool, so you're going to go with Stones, fair enough. But Connor Cody should not be in the England squad. Like, let's be really honest about this. Connor Cody's not good enough to play for England. Tyron Mings isn't good enough to play for England. Ben White isn't a good enough central defender to play for England. You've got really good options. Use them. Like, 
Use them. Tamori should be playing. Guehi, you finally called up. He should be playing. And again, Chelsea made a mistake there. Esri Conza should be in the squad. I know he's injured at the minute. I'm aware of that. But he was ignored for a year before that, for two years before that. So he's not getting the best out of his centre-backs. You've got incredible depth at right back. You've got Trent. You've got Reese James. You've got Kyle Walker. You've got Trippier. You've got James Justin. You've got Lamptey, although it looks like he'll switch to play for Ghana. You've got Tino Livermento. You've got Kyle Walker-Peters. Like You are loaded at right back. Trent is easily the best right back. Easily the best right back. And Reese James should be the backup. Now, if you want Kyle Walker in your squad, you could say Kyle Walker's our third right back and our fifth centre back. So he'll be valuable. He gives us flexibility. He can play in a back three as well. So you can have Kyle Walker in the squad, but you shouldn't be calling up a fourth right back. Like, why is Kieran Trippier in the squad when you've already got a bunch of right backs in the squad? He can't play left back. We've seen this. He's a train wreck at left back. So your left back options, you've got Luke Shaw, didn't have a good season, but he's decent. Ben Chilwell is a good player. And James Justin plays left back for Leicester. There's no problem calling him up. Walker Peters played left back for Southampton a bunch. Again, you could call him up as a left back. Chilwell should be the starter, in my view. And I would actually probably pick James Justin as the backup. So again, I don't think he's getting the best in left back. Midfield for England has been rough for the last decade because all of the great English midfielders disappeared and none of them reappeared and no new ones appeared. But there are very promising signs. Obviously, Declan Rice, Conor Gallagher, Jude Bellingham, Calvin Phillips a little bit older than them, but he's a very good player. So central midfield, you'd be happy with. You would be happy with. But, I mean, the fact that Jesse Lingard has been in an England squad in the last 12 months um, is shameful because he's been barely playing since he left West Ham at the end of last season. So why is he in this? Why was he getting called up? I can understand calling up Ward-Prowse off the back of the season he had, and obviously Mount can play in midfield as well. I do think he's picking the right midfielders. He just hasn't got the balance right yet. He's too cautious. You could easily play Phillips as your... Sorry, Phillips or Rice, but Rice as your holding midfielder. Bellingham on the right of that, and Mount on the left of that. And that could be your midfield three. But he always wants that second kind of holding one in there to really give them some balance, and they don't need it. And then an attack, I mean, Bowen had a very good season, but he's certainly not of the same quality of the others. Kane, of course, will be in the team as captain. Saka is a must. He's outstanding. Raheem Sterling is always good for England. He's generally always good for City, even though Guardiola doesn't seem to have full faith in him anymore. Phil Foden is a must. He's an outstanding player and a player of his talent just needs to be in the squad. Tammy Abraham had a great season for Roma. You can understand that one. But like Jack Grealish had a stinker of a season. And it's not like he has been outstanding for England. So I'm not sure why he's really in the squad. Jaden Sancho had a similar enough season to Grealish, 
But yeah, he doesn't get in the squad and he's been better for England than Grealish has. So again, I just don't feel like he's getting the best out of this England squad. I really don't. I think there's so much more that could be done with this England team than what Southgate is, is doing. There's so much talent in this squad. And then you look at the under-21 squad, and again, it just it is absolutely packed with talent. Max Aaron's really talented right back. Jed Spence, another talented right back. Ben Johnson, another talented right back. Uh, Levi Colwell, massive promise as a centre-back. Taylor Haywood Be- uh, Bellis is very highly regarded. Morgan Gibbs White had a great season. Jacob Ramsey had a great season. Harvey Elliott, super talented. Tommy Doyle at Man City, very talented. McAtee at City, very talented. Emile Smith Rowe is an outstanding footballer, an absolutely outstanding footballer. You've got Noni Mudeki, you've got, I mentioned Tino Livermento earlier on as a potential option right back. There's just so much talent here that it really does baffle me how little Southgate actually gets out of these. Like the results are one thing, but the performances and the level and the style of play is, is just not there. It's just not there at all. There's a fear of losing under Southgate, which is, which is fine, but there's no appetite to win. Like everybody was happy with losing the final to Italy. What a great achievement. No, you didn't win anything. Same thing at the World Cup. And like, let's not forget at that World Cup, let's not forget the run that England had. It wasn't like they beat a who's who in that World Cup. It was very, very straightforward for England. And they lost to the good teams that they played. Southgate hasn't been overachieving. He's just been doing what he should do. At the World Cup, you beat Tunisia, scraped by them, by the way, and then beat mighty Panama, lost the Belgian. Into the knockout phase, you beat Colombia on penalties, beat an average Sweden, then you lost to Croatia and then lost to Belgium again. So you played two good teams three times and lost all three games. Like, what are we meant to be celebrating here? What are we meant to be congratulating him on? Is there, is there some sort of quality opposition that I've missed there? Have I misjudged somebody? Because I don't think I have. Colombia weren't a particularly good team, and they pushed England all the way to penalties. Sweden were average, so rightly so England should beat them. Now in the Euros, I think they did a bit better. But again, you know, you beat Croatia... Very good, but that Croatia team had aged drastically in the three years between the World Cup and the Euros. You drew nil-nil with Scotland, and then you snuck by the Czech Republic, who are okay, but not exactly a spectacular team. End of the knockout phases, you beat Germany. Fair play. You beat Germany. And you walloped an average Ukraine team before scraping by an average Denmark team. And that Germany team was very much on its last legs as well, by the way. And then you lost Italy. So I'd say you played three good teams. Croatia, 
Germany and Italy. And uh, you won two of them, fair play, but they're not top-end teams. There's no real top-end team in, in international football at the minute anyway. If we're being fair, France should be, but find ways to sabotage themselves. Um, Spain are sort of transitioning between generations. Italy had that incredible run, but they've missed the World Cup. The Belgian team are starting to age out. Portugal are just waiting for Cristiano to retire so that they can unleash this absolute murderer's role that they're going to have. Everybody should be terrified of what Portugal are going to be post-Cristiano. It is going to be something special. But there's no real top team. This is a very weak era of international football. And uh, and England still haven't been able to win anything. Like, there's no great Spanish team or, like, the French team that won in 98 and then the European Championships. There's no Germany 96. There's, there's nothing like that. There's no, there's no great teams, and yet England are still not winning. They're doing better, but they're not winning. And one of the reasons they're not winning is they don't really always set out to win. In big games, Southgate sets out not to lose, and that's just not the right mindset to have. Anyway, I spent too long on something I don't care all that much about. I just don't think Southgate is, is the right man for the job. But I don't think last night is reason to sack him. I think everything else is reason to move on from him and find someone that can make better use of the players that are there. Someone like a Graham Potter. Now, I don't know if he'd take it, but Graham Potter would get far more out of this squad than Gareth Southgate would. And Gareth Southgate, I mean, let's not forget what he was as a club manager. Let's, let's not gloss over the fact that he's a failed club manager who was dreadful at Middlesbrough. He was appointed under-21 manager because he's a yes-man. And he got the England job because he was the cheapest option after the big Sam fiasco. He was nobody's choice. He's just the cheap option. Other international games. Germany put five past Italy and won 5-2. Uh, Kimmich, Gundogan, Thomas Muller, and two from Timo Werner. That is, uh, that's quite the embarrassment for the Italians who had Donnarumma, Calabria, Mancini, Bastoni, Spinazzola. Not the strongest midfield, though Barella is there, and it's a very, very weakened front three. Uh, but I wouldn't suggest that is Germany's best 11 either. So... It is what it is. Ireland, following up the mighty victory over Scotland, uh, drew 1-1 with Ukraine, which we will take all day long. Uh, anytime we don't lose, it's a good thing. And Nathan Collins scored himself a cracker, so we'll be very, very happy with that. Um, yeah, all things considered, quite happy. Young team, lots of minutes there for, for Knight and Parrot and Malumbi and and Collins and Kelleher and Gold. So, yeah, all things considered, a, a good evening's work for the Irish team. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the Premier League, but there's no Premier League action at the minute, so it is a little bit difficult of having to make things up as I go day to day. And today, I thought, what better day then a day in the middle of the week 
to have a look at what the ambitions for the teams in mid-table last season should be ahead of next season. So by mid-table, I would categorise that as everybody who didn't qualify for Europe down to the teams that were in the relegation zone. So Everton, Leeds, Burnley, Watford and Norwich were all in that relegation battle. So they're not mid-table. So we're looking at Leicester through to Southampton today and what their ambition should be ahead of next season. We've been through the squad needs. I'll pull them up again so we can mix and match as we go. But we're looking at Leicester, Brighton, Wolves, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Aston Villa and Southampton. Probably, do you know what? We won't do all today. We'll do the first four. We'll do Leicester to Newcastle today and Palace to Southampton tomorrow. Because we won't have time to do all eight today. Because there's, there's quite a bit that needs to be said about some of these teams. So let's start with Leicester City. They're the obvious one, um, or the obvious place to start. Last season was, I think, exceptionally disappointing for them. After two years of competing for Champions League football and finding ways to throw it away when really and truly, if we're all being honest, they should have walked into the top four both seasons. Given what happened around them to everybody else, they're never going to get better opportunities. Last season, at the beginning of the year, I said I thought the window was closed or at least closing, and it turned out to be slammed shut. They did have a lot of injury issues, and that does need to be factored in. But when we consider that they spent most of their season in the bottom half, I think it has to be just marked down as a failed season. They got off to a poor start. They won two of seven. And it never really recovered from there. And Leicester didn't win three in a row at any point during the season. Up until the final four games, their longest unbeaten run in the league was three games. So 38 games, they won 14, they drew 10, and they lost 14. They lost heavily away to West Ham. That's not a terrible result, terrible outcome, but the performance was very disappointing. Losing at home to City is not a bad thing because City are, are so good. but Losing to Brighton has to be seen as a bad result for Leicester because Leicester have got to view themselves as above Brighton. Drawing at home with Burnley was poor. Drawing away with Crystal Palace, I can accept. A bad result would have been a defeat there. A draw is okay. Losing at home to Arsenal, a team that they should have been competing with for Champions League, bad result. Draw away to Leeds, bad result. Defeat at home to Chelsea, not a bad outcome, but a bad performance getting beaten 3-0. Drawing away to Southampton, I think that's a bad result. Losing away to Aston Villa, bad result. Losing away to City, not a bad result. And They did score three goals, they just conceded six. Uh, losing at home to Spurs, again a team they should have been competing with for Champions League, that's a bad result. Drawing at home to Brighton, bad result. Losing away to Liverpool, no harm, no foul. 
Drawing at home to West Ham, again, a team you're looking to compete with. That's that's disappointing. Um, these results wouldn't be, like, drawing away with West Ham would have been a good result. Losing away to Spurs and Arsenal, they wouldn't be bad results. But at home, they are. Uh, losing away to Wolves, again, you're probably looking to take a draw there. Losing away to Arsenal, not a bad result. Drawing away with United is a good result. Losing away to Newcastle. Now, Newcastle were surging at the time, but still, Leicester should take care of business. A draw away to Everton is a poor result. A draw away to a draw at home to Villa is a poor result. Losing away to Tottenham, not a bad result. Losing at home to Everton, terrible result. And drawing away to Chelsea is a good result. There's, there's just a lot there where you look at it and think, those are not points you should be dropping. These are points you need to be taking. We don't expect you to win the league, but let's be honest about how the Premier League is currently made up. There are City and Liverpool and then everybody else. Liverpool and Manchester City exist on a different level to all the rest. Now, Chelsea, I would say, are on a level to themselves where they're not at the level of City and Chelsea, uh, City and Liverpool, but they're better than the rest. They're better than your Tottenham's, your Arsenal's, your Leicester City's and your West Ham's. But Tottenham, Arsenal, Leicester, West Ham, they're all on the same level or, or should be all on the same level. West Ham's Champions League challenge fell apart because they were so focused on the Europa League and they had a really small squad. Rodgers doesn't really have that argument to make because he was the one that outright mocked the Conference League. So he can't really turn around and say, oh, we were heavily focused on winning the Europa Conference League. It's nonsense. So you're not exactly playing the best of the best in the Conference League, you know? So I think Leicester, all told, should be really disappointed with a lot of those results there are some good wins in there. Don't get me wrong. You know, beating Wolves at home is a good win. Any away win is a good win. So beating Leicester, beating Brentford, or beating Norwich, beating Brentford, uh, beating Watford, you should do. Beating Newcastle at home, you should do. Beating Liverpool at home is a great result. Uh, beating Burnley away, you should do. Beating Leeds at home, you should do. You should beat Brentford at home. You should beat Palace at home. You should beat Norwich at home. Beating Watford away, again, you should. But 5-1 is impressive. And the same with beating Southampton. But beating United at home is a good result. Beating Liverpool at home is a very good result. I, I meant to put United in that group with, with Arsenal and, and Tottenham and, and West Ham and Leicester. That five are on about the same level. And I think Leicester have more talent than most of them. And they have a more settled team. It is a really good Leicester team. And when I went through what I think they need for the summer, a future starting goalkeeper. But you're set for this season because Casper's still good and Danny Ward is a solid backup. So you're looking to bring in a third goalkeeper who can be developed in that first-choice keeper over the next couple of years. Um, you've got strong fullbacks in Pereira and Justin, Castanier and Luke Thomas. Soyuncu has massively declined, and we know that. Evans is past his best and picking up more and more injuries. And 
Yannick Vestergaard is a train wreck. But you do have one massive talent in Wesley Fofana. Like, that is an elite-level prospect at centre-back. When you have a group of defenders that good and all you really need to do is add one, you're in a good situation. Midfield, they're very strong. Now, they're going to lose Tielemann, so the second starter they need is a replacement for him. But you've got one of the best holding midfielders in Europe in Will Fendidi. Dewsbury Hall has been outstanding. Madison's a, a really, really good player. Uh, you could bring back Dennis Pryat. You've got a, a high-ceiling youngster in Bubakari Samare. You've got Hamza Chowdhury, you've got Nampali's Mendy. Like you add that starting midfielder, that replacement for Telemans, as long as it's not a substantial drop-off, and you're going to be very good in midfield. And again, up front, there's there's quality. You've got Vardy, you've got Ianatra, you've got Daka, you've got Iosi Perez. You can use him how you want. Um, I would be interested to see if they keep Adamola Luckman. They do have Harvey Barnes. There's a lot of talent in attack. This team should be competing for top four. They should be competing for top four. There's just no excuse for the season that they have. There's no excuse to lose 14 games across the Premier League season. That's outrageously poor. And then, you know, factor in the amount of goals they conceded. And it's just, it's unacceptable. Like 59 goals conceded is unacceptable. And I know you were missing players, but everybody was missing players. Everybody had injuries the last couple of years. 59 goals is unacceptable. Like, are we really going to claim that even, you know, with your injuries, that Wolves had better defenders? No, of course they didn't. Did Brighton? No. They conceded substantially less goals than you. Burnley conceded less goals than you. Now, I know that comes at a, co- at a cost, but sometimes you have to just pay that cost and maybe be a little less gung-ho and maybe be a bit more solid when you're missing players turn those defeats into draws learn how to grind out a win from some of those draws Leicester's problem this past season was in part that they're soft and they shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case for Leicester I think they have to be challenging for the Champions League next season I don't think they'll get it but I really do think they should be challenging And I think Europa League should be the minimum for them. The minimum. Because United are in flux. They're rebuilding. New manager in the door. And they're still going to have to put up Cristiano's nonsense next year. West Ham, you're a better team than West Ham. You've got more talent than West Ham. And they have European football and you don't. And I would take the Leicester squad over Arsenal squad, even though Arsenal probably have the better individuals in certain areas not all areas but certain areas I take the Leicester squad there's more depth there's more all-round quality they've got a better manager Rodgers is better than Arteta and again Arsenal have European football and Leicester don't so with no European football Leicester can focus solely on the league and they should get top six next season like I said starting centre-back starting centre midfielder and get that future goalkeeper Etienne Green from St. Etienne could be available. They got relegated, so they may well need to sell a couple of players. He would be a really good player to bring in. He's an English lad. 
who has been called up to do in the 21s, bring him in, develop him, and you might strike gold with him. He's very, very highly regarded. And he may well be future, future England number one. You know, I've already suggested how I'd go about finding that starting centre-back. I'd use Tielemans and try and get Saliba. And then all you're having to do is buy that centre midfielder, which won't be cheap, but Leicester aren't a club that does the cheap thing. Leicester are a club that do spend money. And I, I do think they'd be able to find a good quality central midfielder to come in and replace Yuri Tielemans. Maybe someone that can give, give them a bit more drive and a bit more, bit more oomph in midfield a bit more of a box-to-box presence. Maybe someone like Quadio Kone could come in and do that job for them. Get him for about $35 million. You might want to keep Luckman, we'll see. And, you know, Etienne Green, maybe $5 million with some add-ons, gets that done. You're going to get a few other players that you can sell. There's definitely a couple in the squad that you could get some money for. Maybe not big money, but you'd certainly get a few quid for Yannick Vestergaard. You know, you might get 10 million for him. It's not great, but it's something. Anyway, we'll move on to Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton's a very different case to Leicester. Brighton achieved their goal last year in finishing in the top half of the Premier League for the first time since they've come up. And Graham Potter has done an outstanding job there. And when you look at Brighton and you see what their mandate is, it's very much to stay in the Premier League, to stay profitable, to attract quality young players, develop them and sell them at a profit and just continue to do that while staying competitive. Now, I marked them down as needing a starting central defender because if they're going to play a back three, I think Duncan Webster are very good, but they need a third one. They'll need a starting central midfielder with Basuma leaving. They need a backup right back because when Lamptey's not there, it's just a bit of a mess. Solly March isn't great, and Joel Veltman's a centre-back. He doesn't work as a right wing back. So they could do with someone there. And obviously, just for numbers, they could do it a backup centre-back as well. Because when you're playing a three, you really want to have six centre-backs at your club. And they only have four or five, including a new signing that Potter would trust. They've got whatever would be the starting three, Webster Dunk plus one. I think he trusts Duffy to an extent in the middle role. He trusts Feltman, but you could do with another one, preferably a left footer as well. Um, so they could do with that. Now, in terms of what their ambition should be and what they should be looking to do for the current season or this, the, the upcoming season, I really do think more of the same. I think that's got to be the aim, is to try and establish themselves now as a top-half team. And that's going to be easier said than done when you consider Newcastle are obviously going to spend a substantial amount of money and they're very clearly going to become a top-half team. Aston Villa, their stated objective is to become a European contender. So those two will want to push on. I think we'll see more from Bruno Lage next season at Wolves. I think Wolves could improve. Vieira's year two as well, so they could kick on. And there was only three points between Crystal Palace and Brighton this past season. And obviously Everton have ideas of themselves as a top-half club as well, and rightly so, considering their history. 
but they've got a long way to go. So it's going to be tough for Brighton. If Brighton can get 8th, ninth, or 10th again next season, I think that's going to be a success. I think they've got the manager to do it. I think they've got a lot of the pieces to do it. That number nine would make such a difference to them. If they could get a starting caliber number nine, and we know they scout these players so well. I mean, look how close they came to signing Darwin Nunes two years ago, and now he's moving to Liverpool for 64 million pounds. Brighton know what they're doing. They're very, very clever. And I do think there's a capability there to establish themselves as a top half club because we'll see fluctuations with others. We'll see a fluctuation with West Ham. At some point, West Ham will drop out of the top half. It may be that next summer, not this summer, but next summer they sell Decton Rice and they take a step back for a year and they end up 12th to 14th for a season. And then they go again. It may well be that we see Leicester start to sell off some of these players, Madison, Ndidi, Barnes, and maybe they take a step back. Fafana's another one who could go. And they end up 12 to 14 for a season, and then they rebuild and go again. So with Brighton, how well-run they are, how smart they are in their recruitment, what a good manager they have, I don't see any reason they shouldn't be targeting a, a finish between 8th and 10th next season. And while that might not be exciting to a lot of people, for a club like Brighton, that's a great achievement. From from where they've been, and it was grim for a long time to be a comfortable mid-table team in the Premier League, that is already a huge achievement. If they can be a top-half team in the Premier League consistently, that would be outstanding for them. It really, really would. And you never know. Maybe they can sneak into Europe. Maybe they're capable of sneaking into Europe and things break their way. We know they'll be good defensively. We know they'll create a ton of chances if they can put those chances away. I mean, they're only five points off West Ham this past season. They drew 15 games. If they'd had a striker capable of scoring goals on a regular basis, is there any reason they couldn't have turned three of them? into victories and finished on 57 points ahead of West Ham? No, of course not. You look at their results this past season, and again, what's good for them is, is not the same as what's good for Leicester. What's bad for them is not the same as what's bad for Leicester. What was bad for, for Brighton was the long runs without victories. So they win four of their first five. Their first defeat is a home defeat to Everton we didn't know it at the time but that was a bad result at the time it didn't look like a bad result because Everton were going really well but they beat Burnley beat Watford beat Brentford and a really good victory over Leicester draw with Crystal Palace that's fine draw with Arsenal that's fine draw away to Norwich bad results draw away to Liverpool great result defeat at home to City not a bad result at all as it turned out, the draw, well, no, at the time, the draw with Newcastle was very poor. In hindsight, it wasn't as bad considering how the table worked out, but at that point, it was a bad result. Uh, defeat away to Villa, new manager bounced there at Villa, so you'll excuse that one. Draw at home to Leeds, not good. Draw away to West Ham, good result. Draw away to Southampton, good result. Defeat at home to Wolves, 
disappointing, but not a bad result. Not a bad result for them. So to this point, you're looking at one game, sorry, two games, Norwich away, Newcastle at home, and saying you really should be winning those. But everything else is pretty good. That's 17 games or 16 games through as it is. And that's not bad. You, you, you've lost four times, but City are a lot better than you. Wolves were a better team this past season. Villa had a new manager, so your new manager bounced there. And, and Everton were going really well. You wouldn't look at any of those defeats at the time and say, that's a stinker. It's only a couple of the draws. But the problem here is we've gone from the 19th of September when they beat Leicester and we're up to the 15th of December, that defeat to Wolves. They haven't won a game in three months. They haven't won a game in three months. Then they beat Brentford. They draw away with with Chelsea, great results. They beat Everton away, good result, and gets back that loss earlier in the season. a draw at home to Palace, good result. Draw at home to Chelsea, good result. Draw away to Leicester, good result. They beat Watford. This is a really good run. But then they have a bad run. They lose away to United. No shame in that. They get hammered at home by Burnley. That's a terrible result. They lose at home to Villa. There's no excuse for this one. That's a bad result. A draw would have been fine. That's a bad result. Losing away to Newcastle. Newcastle were surging, playing really well. So you can excuse that one. Losing at home to Liverpool and Tottenham, that's not bad results at all. You, you expect those. Drawing at home to Norwich, that's a bad result. So you've got two terrible results, the defeat to Burnley and the defeat at uh, the draw with Norwich, and a bad result in that defeat to uh, Villa. You should be beating Burnley at home. You should be beating Norwich. That will be five extra points. You should be getting a draw to that Villa game. That will be six extra X points. Those three games alone could have swung themselves into Europe. They beat Arsenal away, really good result. Beat Tottenham away, really good result. Lose to City, fine. Draw with Southampton, fine. Um, beat Wolves, good result. Hammer Manchester United, very, very good result. They draw away to Leeds. And again, it's a game they should win, but... That's a Leeds team scrapping for survival, so you can kind of excuse it. And they beat West Ham. There's not a whole lot of bad results in there for Brighton across the course of the season. It's a really strong season from them. It's a few draws, a few defeats that they should do better in. And maybe with a number nine, they do better in those games and they get draws in games they've lost they get wins in games they've drawn but I think top half for them again next season is more than acceptable I think that's a success if they get top half Uh, we'll move on to Wolves then so for Wolves I have got them marked down as requiring two starting centre-backs a starting midfielder that might be two starting midfielders if Neves leaves uh, starting right winger, starting striker, and a backup goalkeeper. So I, I think they need quite a bit. Honestly, I think they were a surprise package in terms of how well they did this season, finishing top half. And I think next season, as much as I like Bruno Lage, 
I do think if they can just avoid the relegation scrap next year, I think it goes down as a success. I really do. Because they ran out of steam quite badly this season. And if you look at how they went from, let's say, when they beat Watford on the 12th of January, they then lost six in a row, drew. No, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Looked at the wrong thing. Uh, they did have a bad second half of the season. So trust me on that. Now we'll get into this. Um, if you look at, let's say, they beat Leicester on the 20th of February, okay? Then they lose three in a row. Then they beat Watford and Everton games they should win. They lose, they win, and then they don't win any of their last seven. So that's not ideal. That's three wins from your last 14. That's not good enough, especially considering the season that they'd had. Now, losing away to Leicester on the opening day, they performed really well, and it can't really be marked down as a bad result or bad performance. They lost to Tottenham, lost to United. Same thing. Played really well, created plenty of chances, couldn't score goals, and not being able to score goals was a feature of this team throughout the season. You beat Watford away, that's a good result. Losing at home to Brentford is a bad result. Newly promoted teams shouldn't be coming to your home stadium and beating you. Uh, the draw away with Leeds, we didn't know what at the time, but that was a bad result. Losing to Crystal Palace is fine away from home. Uh, drawing with Norwich, drawing with Burnley, these are bad results. Losing to Liverpool and City are not bad results. Drawing with Chelsea, not a bad result. Losing to Arsenal at home, not a bad result, because I wouldn't have put them in that same group. I'd have put them in the Brighton group. So I think that's a, that's a fine result for... They'll be disappointed. And considering the context of the season, maybe. But I don't think it's a bad result to lose at home to Arsenal if you're Wolves. Same thing losing away, same thing losing away to, to West Ham. I think losing at home to Palace was a bad result for them. They lost both games to Palace. I think those are two games they'd like to have back. I think they target draws in those games. Uh, losing at home to Leeds is poor. I know Leeds were scrapping, but losing that game is poor. Uh, losing away to Newcastle, not great. Losing away to Burnley, not great. Burnley were scrapping for the lives, so you can. And there's a bit of a new manager bounce there with Jackson, so you, you can take those factors in. Uh, heavy defeat at home to Brighton, that's a poor result. Drawing away to Chelsea, good result. Hammered at home by City, not a bad res- not a bad outcome, but the performance, the def- margin of defeat is poor. Drawing at home with Norwich is bad, and losing away to Liverpool is not. It's just what happens. Um, so I do think they had as good a season as they could possibly have. And similar enough to Brighton, I think they'll be very, very happy with it. I think if you'd given them top half at the start of the season, they'd have taken your hand off. <coughs> now, obviously, Bruno Lage is much newer in his job than Graham Potter, but there's a lot of similarities between them in terms of how they set the teams up, how they set the defences up, creating lots of chances, but maybe not creating high-quality chances at times, maybe lacking that final ball or just lacking that finishing touch. I think he's a couple of steps behind where Potter is now. So for me, I would say if Wolves can finish 
comfortably next season without getting into the relegation scrap. Like if they're, I would say 14th next season, I think I don't think that's a bad season. I think survival's the, the purpose for Wolves because I, th- I do think they've got a lot to do. And they're going to lose Neves and may well lose Matinho as well. So you're losing leadership and quality. So I would say for Wolves next season, just avoid the relegation scrap. And I think you can mark it down as a successful season. I really do. Moving on then to Newcastle, who had one of the stranger seasons anyone's ever had in that they were bought out by the uh, the Saudi investment fund. And then obviously what happened to them with them in the league was just crazy. So up until January 15th, they'd won one game. They beat Burnley 1-0 at home. They had drawn two, four, six, eight. They'd drawn nine games. And they'd lost a lot. So it's hard to know what isn't isn't a good result. I, I said at the time, this Newcastle team are better than what we're seeing. But they were so poor for so long. I mean, that's why they were in the bottom three for so much of the season. I mean, right up until match week 21, they were in the bottom three. That's really, really poor. Losing at home to West Ham, not a bad result. I would have put them in the same crowd as Villa going into the season. Maybe a little bit below, maybe more in the... I thought Villa could make top half. I would say we'd put them, we would have put them, say, in the same, the same boat as Crystal Palace. You know, inconsistent, should be comfortable, shouldn't have any real relegation issues, but they'll be bottom half. In the end, Newcastle had relegation worries for a long time, but finished very, very well. But, you know, losing at home to West Ham, losing away to Villa, they're they're not bad results. Heavy defeat away to United. The the heaviness of the defeat is is what's poor, but losing isn't the bad thing. Drawing at home with Southampton is fine. Uh, I think drawing at home with Leeds was fine. Drawing away to Watford, disappointing. Uh, losing to Wolves, fair enough. Losing to Tottenham, fair enough. Drawing with Palace is fine. Losing to Chelsea is fine. Lose, uh, drawing with Brighton. Lo- drawing with Brentford at home, that's that's a poor result. Losing to Arsenal is okay. Drawing with Norwich at home is poor. They did beat Burnley. Um, losing to Leicester, the manner of the defeat was concerning, but not so much the actual defeat itself. Uh, they actually gave Liverpool a tough game. Losing to them in City is, is okay. Uh, the draw at home with United is a good result. The draw at home at Watford was disappointing. But then they go on their really good run. And even the, the draw away to West Ham is, is a good result. So that's seven good results in a row. Six wins and a draw. They lose to Chelsea. That's fine. Losing to Everton was disappointing. It's a bad result to lose. Because considering how well they were going at the time, and a bad Everton where it was a bad result for Newcastle. Heavy defeat to Spurs. Again, you don't like to lose heavily, but losing to Spurs is no, no shame. And then the only two other defeats they picked up were Liverpool and City. They won six of their last eight. So 
how really did turn it around? He really did turn it around and credit to him. But there's going to be huge pressure on him next season. They have to finish top half. Anything else will be failure. Now, they're struggling a little bit to get the players in that they want. Um, Matt Target is done. It looks like they'll get Ekatiki, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with the rest. Uh, I missed this. They've loaned out Isaac Hayden to Norwich. I think that's actually a really good pickup for Norwich. I think Isaac Hayden's a quality player. Um, so I think that's a great pickup for Norwich. I think it's it's a sensible enough move for Newcastle, though, because his value will have been low after the injury cost him half a season, and he seemed to fall out of favour under Howe as well. So you're not going to get a good fee from this summer. But if he does well with Norwich and Norwich come up, Norwich will probably want to keep him, and you should make a decent sum then. Um, I've got them needing quite a bit. Starting keeper, starting left-back is taken care of with target. Two starting centre-backs, a starting holding midfielder, and a starting winger. Uh, that is quite a bit to do, obviously. Five more starters after Matt Target. It may be that they don't buy a winger, but they do seem keen to bring in a winger. Um, Botman is obviously one target centre-back. They may only bring in one. I think they'd be leaving themselves short, but we'll see what happens. I think for Newcastle next season, they've got to be top half. They really do. With what they're going to spend, with, with what these owners will want, I think anything other than top half will be seen as a failure. If it's 10th, it's 10th. I know that's only one place up from where they were this season. But as long as you're moving forward, I think Eddie Howe can make an argument that he's got them going in the right direction. Things were so bad this season, both before he took over and in the few months after he took over, that it's hard to know what this Newcastle team are. They're certainly better than what we saw in the first half of the season, but they're not as good as what we saw in the second half of the season. They're somewhere in between, and that somewhere in between would probably normally place them about where Southampton were last season, about 15th. So if they can step to the top half, I think that's a really good move forward. I think we'll see them be fairly aggressive later in the window, but with Dan Ashworth in charge, I, I expect them to put in place a very strong structure and make very smart decisions moving forward. This will be a summer with less Dan Ashford influence than potentially future summers. But if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be, I'd be mostly excited about him. Uh, again, I wouldn't give him all the credit for what's going on at Brighton because they were good before he got there in terms of recruitment and talent ID, and they'll be good after him. But, I do think for Newcastle, he, he will be a huge step up. So I would say, yeah, top half for Newcastle next season. Wouldn't put pressure on them to challenge for Europe because it's still so early in this rebuild. And like I say, they've got a lot to do and it'll be a lot of new players to bet in, whether it's four or five new starters. It's going to be quite a bit. Um, so yeah, Leicester, Europa League has got to be the aim. Brighton, top half. Wolves, anything above the relegation scrap, and Newcastle, top half. I think that's where those teams need to be aiming for next season. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at Palace, Brentford, Southampton and Villa um, and go from there. 
Radio, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've just got the gossip and then we're done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, we just have the gossip really today. There is nothing much. The BBC site is full of um, commentary on the England game and the other games from last night, the other international uh, fixtures. The Athletic has quite a bit of decent content at the minute, if you're interested. I think they're doing it for a quid a month for six months. Um, it's not a bad offer, and to be fair, there is some very good writers there. There's a good piece about Chelsea. There's a really interesting piece about Marco Asensio by Dermot Corrigan and Mark Carey. Um, good piece there by James Horncastle, who's always good, on Inter Milan. And then they've just got good coverage of Darwin Nunes. They've got coverage of Erling Haaland, a few of the transfer bits including Rafinha, Christian Eriksen. Uh, there's a piece about Pochettino and where he could go if, or as, as he leaves PSG, like what clubs could be interested in him next, which I think is worth the read. Um, so, yeah, not to show from a moral point of view, I can't stand, but they do have some decent content. So what do you want me to do? Um, there's some really good stuff on Derby County. Really good stuff on Derby. And I will say, Ornstein is the best in the business for information. And Daniel Taylor is the best sports writer in the country. So the only place to read them is The Athletic. So a quid a month is is the best offer there. Six-month trial. You can cancel it after that. And then there's always more offers to come. Anyway. um, Oh, we have a quiz. We have a quiz. Uh, It's the Can You Name... The 15 most expensive players in Premier League history. I'm sure I can. This midfielder joined Manchester City for 100 million. That is Jack Grealish. Uh, Return to Chelsea. That would be Big Rom. Left for Juventus before returning. That would be Paul Pogba. This 80 million pound man. That would be Slabhead Maguire. Uh, the 75 million defender who won the PFA Football of the Year, that is Virgil van Dijk. Uh, his second appearance in the top 10, that's Lukaku again. This attacker racked up 50 goals and 57 assists for his former club before joining United. That is Jaden Sancho. This attacker finished second to Kylian Mbappe, that's Nicolas Pepe. 71 million Chelsea goalkeeper, that is Kepa. Uh, this attacker scored in the Champions League final, that is Kai Havertz. This Premier League goalkeeper was the most expensive when he arrived, that is Alison Becker. Um, this defender joined Manchester City for 65 million, that is Ruben Diaz. Has signed for Liverpool for an initial 64 million. That is Darwin Nunes. The manager of this 62.8 million midfielder once referred to his hairstyle 
as evidence of his qualities in the position. Is that Rodri? It is. This 60 million Manchester winger won PFA Player of the Year. That is Riyad Mahrez. I know that they are buying the nonsense from City about um, the Hallam fee, but you know, this what it is. It's a 15 out of 15. That quiz is there if you want to do it yourself. But why would you when I've just done it for you? Uh, the gossip then. Manchester United have made an offer to sign De- Denmark midfielder Christian Eriksen. Um, I just don't think he's the best fit there. Uh, United's interest in Eriksen would not rule out a move for Frankie de Jong. I just don't think they're getting him either. De Jong says he is flattered by United's interest, but is currently the biggest club in the world. So what he's saying is United is a step down. Bayern Munich are preparing to offer 34.6 million for Sadio Mane. They would want to hurry up and get that offer up to about 40 million or it will get rejected as well. Juventus are close to agreeing a contract with Paul Pogba. No one cares anymore. Manchester City could raise more than 200 million in player sales this summer. Highly unlikely. Gabriel Jesus wants to join Arsenal to be reunited with Mikel Arteta. Fair play, I can see that one. I, I, I can't. I just don't think he's the best fit for them. Richarlison has turned down an approach from Arsenal with Chelsea and Tottenham said to be his preferred destinations. Again, I don't believe that, to be fair. Inter Milan are are pushing to sign Romelu Lukaku. Again, who who cares at this point? Real Madrid are close to agreeing a new contract with Vinicius Jr. Uh, Rightly so. Leeds have reached verbal agreement to sign Mark Rocca. I like that one. I do like that one. I think that's a, a good signing. Um, Manchester City's Japanese defender Ko Itakura is wanted by Borussia Mönchengladbach fair play to him Victor Simeon says he will decide on his future later in the summer he is staying where he is they won't sell him at this point uh, Chelsea are considering a deal for Thomas Strakosha if Kepa leaves this summer sounds like that's his agent putting that out to get Fulham to hurry up um, Tottenham and Juventus have had offers reject, rejected for Udinese and Italy left back Destiny Udige. Very talented, but I, I think he probably ends up at Juve. Uh, Leeds winger Rafinha is a target for I don't believe that at all. I said that yesterday. I believe he might be a target, I just don't think he makes sense. Uh, Lucas Torreira will return to Arsenal after Fiorentina decided not to make his loan move permanent. Largely because Arsenal have been ridiculous over the fee. Nones have submitted a bid for Bryce Samba. I wouldn't imagine so, considering they've got a vastly superior goalkeeper themselves, unless just planning to sell um, their own keeper, who's Albon, Albon Lafont. I, I don't imagine that's true. Bournemouth are favourites to sign Joe Rothwell from Blackburn. He's a very good player. He'll do well in the Premier League, but he'll have a lot of interest. Uh, Wolves remain confident of signing Joe Polina. Fulham apparently in the mix. I think he ends up going to Wolves though. And lastly, West Ham are interested in signing Adnan Yanazai. Uh, I don't believe that for a single second because he's just not very good. That'll be me for today, folks. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.